Hello, everyone, and welcome to our fourth annual special grand final week edition of the podcast. It should go without saying. I'm Andrew Lewis. I'm your host. This is our first grand final week that's been sort of how we remembered it. Um, the last two years, we've had a two-week grand final week last year, and then we had an October grand final week last year, two years ago. All Both grand finals outside of Melbourne, but we're back in Melbourne. Um, and just because we're back in Melbourne, it, we've got two teams from outside of Melbourne playing in the grand final. The two winningest teams of the 21st century, Geelong and Sydney, up against each other in the grand final. Joining me to talk about grand final week. And the news of the week is the man who always joins us, AFL Cameron McDonald. How are you doing, Cameron? G'day, Pana. How are you going? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I think we've all it's been there for a week. Uh, the, the, again, it will be at least one more year before the normal rhythm of grand final week returns because we had another Sunday night Brownlow due to the Queen's funeral. Um, so... It was already a little bit, um, a little bit, for want of a better term, uh, before the events of Wednesday. But I feel like we need to discuss that first. Uh, it would be remiss of us um, to not talk about, it, and that is the news regarding the Hawthorne Football Club and Alastair Clarkson and Chris Fagan. Um, claims made in a long-form article by Russell Jackson of the ABC, who's done some incredible reporting over the last two or three years in the long form on the uh, ABC website relating to some historical issues and some awful things that have happened in and around the VFL and the AFL. And this one um, is absolutely no exception. Stories uh, relating to uh, intimidation and some pretty awful allegations uh, regarding treatment of uh, Indigenous players on the Hawthorne list. I think between 2013 and 2015. Um, this follows on uh, from the story early in April. Uh, th th this story comes as a re result of the report that um, Hawthorne had committed as sort of an external review into its treatment of Indigenous players after the Cyril Jeff Kennett story sort of came to light after I think Cyril finally answered the question why are you staying away from Hawthorne, um, staying away from grand final reunions and that sort of thing? And Hawthorne have gone out and have conducted this review and, and these stories have come to light. Um, Alistair Clarkson, who is the coach-elect of the North Melbourne Football Club, um, he'll have his start there at the football club delayed. And Chris Fagan, who is um, involved in these allegations, uh, being present at some of these meetings where some of, these, some of this pressure was brought to bear, um, has stood aside from his role as the Brisbane coach, taking a leave of absence while he engages with a now independent investigation by the league. Um, I guess, first and foremost, um, what were your thoughts yesterday morning as you as you made your way through that uh, Russell Jackson article on the ABC website? Oh, it's, um, it's absolutely horrific. Um, Punter, I sort of, uh, I couldn't believe what I was reading. Um, and I think you hit the nail on the head. We had a little bit of a text back and forth. And, um, uh, you know, it, you know, my first thoughts now when this stuff opens up is not, um, oh, gee whiz, looks what, look what's happened down at Hawthorne. But, uh, you know, you, you kind of hope that it's isolated. Um, I feel like when the Do Better report came out, there was something of a, um, there was almost some joy taken from opposition supporters that um, that this was happening to Collingwood in in, in some way, um, and that they felt justified in in not liking the place. Um, when it when when these things keep coming out, you know, we've spent like the Eddie Betts um, book that came out earlier this year, finally detailing some of what went on um, at the camp. Um, you know, you you got a I think you got an idea of the flavours at that point. Um, and this just hammers it home even further that this is not a... I mean, these these specific incidents may be clubland issues, but above and beyond that, we've just got some pretty serious systemic stuff to have a look at. 
um, and to hear uh, various people talk about it in the ensuing kind of 24 hours. Um, and and I think I think I've been guilty of this a little bit to feel like we are um, that there's the all all the good things uh, regarding you know. Ten um, percent, or, or or something like that amount, that figure um, uh, of of our league um, being um, Indigenous players, um, and and you know we, we sort of hang our hats on that a little bit, and the um, amazing work provided to um, those various communities and all that kind of stuff, but uh, it's hiding some pretty dark stuff, uh, and you have to feel like all clubs are involved in some small way. Um, but uh, yeah, I just felt desperately sad. How about you? Yeah, I mean, my immediate thought was it, it was sort of like almost a domino falling in that regard. In our aforementioned mess- exchange of messages, I suggested we were probably one club away from you know this just being confirmed as a league wide problem, and there's a lot of discussion in the aftermath that, you know, almost a race um, to make it, you know, as encapsulating as possible. Um, I don't think anyone's denying that there is racism that's, you know, widespread across society. Um, But, you know, I I did something I haven't done in a while uh, last night, and that's I decided to um, hunker down for a bit of AFL 360, and um, I'm glad I did. Um, you know, apart from some, some, some another awful sort of um, story from Eddie Betts about something that happened to him recently with his children in a pool, which mm. um, is just you know, it, it's it beggars belief that this could be happening that 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 could be happening in this day and age. Um, he also suggested that um, it's probably time that the sort of review that went on at Hawthorne went on at every club. Mm. Um, you know the the job. You know, I do this for fun. The job that pays the bills is I'm, I'm currently a company secretary. So, um, I, I I'm a governance professional, and I think if I was on the board of a football club at the moment, one of the AFL clubs, I would probably be saying, "Yeah, let's get in front of this, um, and let's conduct our own review at this time, and you know, try and set up a time frame where." <laughs> we can be dealing with this whatever might come out of that review early in the new year and sort of be able to, you know, get through it before, get through it and, and deal with the issues and, and have things implemented in place that we can improve before the season properly starts. Um, rather than wait for the cogs of the AFL, which like any other major organisation, either turn incredibly fast, which is what they did yesterday, or move incredibly slowly, see Tasmania 19th license. Um, they don't tend to move in in that middle space. They either go very quickly or very slowly. So mm. might be stuck with the AFL Commission will consider something at their board meeting on, an April, on, on, on January because it's got to be on the agenda for two meetings before they consider it and all that sort of stuff. Um, if I was, as I said, if I was at a club, I'd be like, let's just, let's just get this going now and let's just find out everything. Um, that might have happened, and let's get past it. But uh, and let's get through it, and let's get the improvements. Let's learn our lessons, um, because I think, you know, undoubtedly every club is going to have lessons to learn through their own experience. Um, I think I think what you said about Collingwood was somewhat true. You know, there's there's unfortunately um, for all the good people at Collingwood, um, there has been some history over, the, particularly over the last thirty years of pretty well-publicised incidences in this space. So um, it confirms what people want to believe. Um, and any 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 sort of preconceived feelings they might have. Um, and that's not to take away from the findings that were made in the Do Better report, which I think proved that Collingwood had some real issues. But um, mm. you can see that Haw- Hawthorne had some issues, Adelaide had some issues. Um it's it's harder and harder to to you know say with a straight face these are isolated incidences they might not be connected incidences you know they, they, um, but you know I think this is a different idea of what people seem to think is systemic now 
um, it's not, you know, a an overt feature of the system, but sort of a side effect of the system. Mm. And further to that, to make uh, one one further point, yeah, I agree that each club should individually be um, considering whether they should jump ahead of this. And I actually feel that part of the findings um, of this group of four that the AFL is in si- uh, assigning to the um, this particular issue, um, I think it should be mandated um, by this group that each club come forward and um, and 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 conduct that review. Um, and whether that be done, uh, you, you'd want to see it done externally, wouldn't you? And just um, yeah, as you say, bring everything to the surface because um, what we need to do now um, is ensure that that it's a safe workplace for whoever wants to work in it. Um, you know, I heard, I heard Daisy Pierce, uh, Pierce speak um, last week um, on Jared's program and um, his uh, sort of uh, initial reaction to um, the AFLW um, teams choosing not to um, have a minute silence for the Queen um, in Indigenous rounds, um, and and the sort of snap reaction to that is, oh, can't we sort of, can't we have both? Um, and uh, Daisy spoke beautifully as she always does, and um, just sort of, I, I guess, helped to um, give us all a sense of what was going on at Clubland, um, and and what it actually meant to honour the Queen um, for Indigenous people. So if we were having an Indigenous round. Um, that we might we might not quite be seeing it the way we should be seeing it. Um, I thought that was a really lovely and nuanced point of view, um, and so I was looking forward to her opinion um, on all of this this week. And she's obviously just desperately sad, but she would like to see a safe environment for the next wave of of, um, of young black players in our league. Um, really diverse players of of any description. Um, should should feel like it's a it's a safe workplace, and that they are that they are people before they are footballers, which is what's been sort of shouted from the rooftops by every coach um, in this new era. Um, but this was evidence that it's that we're not quite there yet. I mean, at the most basic level, this is what we're talking about, aren't we? I mean, um, all the other layers are important and they need to be considered and they can't be dismissed. And there's plenty of people out there in the, the, the social media cesspool. Um, and I don't, that, I don't use that word for want of a better word. Um, who, are, who are happy to, you know, dismiss those, those layers. I don't want to be dismissing those layers. Um, but at the most, it's most basic, hard, like the cornerstone of this issue is being able to be safe at your workplace. And, you know, this is a this is a disgraceful story, um, sort of regardless of the background of the players involved. Um, that, you know, a, a manager, which is sort of what a coach is, um, you know, you you you're a superior. You're you're one of you, you would say to that person would say to one of their direct reports, um, you know, you need to choose between your family and your career. Um, you know, that's, that's, that, that's, you know, I, I don't know if we can make the argument that it should have been acceptable at any stage, but it's certainly not acceptable in 2022. And, mm. you know, that, 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 that these players felt they had to make the choices they made because they felt pressured and they weren't in a situation where they could exercise their best judgment. I mean, I think reading that, I think a lot of people would be like, well, I just would have left. But, you know, this is, I mean, it's also not just another job and to act like it is, is sort of being naive. You know, we've been there and and we grew out of it as the dream became more and more distant as we traversed our teenage years. But, you know, Nearly everyone who plays AFL football, with the possible exception of Mason Cox, grows up dreaming of being an AFL footballer. And you know, so you're not in that. You know that 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 is powerful in that 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 
discussion as well where he's like, here's this thing you've been dreaming of doing since you can remember dreaming about doing things. And if you don't do this, we're, you know, we're going to take it away from you. And now because it's not forever, you've got, you know, you've had these other things and families have pretty much dissolved um, because of these actions. So um, making sure it's a safe workplace, I think is, the, you know, it's the, it's the number one issue in here and everything else comes a very, very close second. But um, that's a yeah. very good point you raised, Bunner. And like, yeah. and, and also something that, that, that makes me think of as well is that um, the vast majority of, of people we've heard speak on this issue, their football experience comparatively, you know, it, 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 they're not, they're chalk and cheese. Mm. We're talking about guys who had, you know, 12 to 18 year careers um, on, on as close to maximum dollars as, as were available in their era. Um, and, and they're commenting on this issue like nothing like that ever happened to me or I wasn't aware of this. And that shines a light on it even further. That even within the footy club environment, there are those, you know, there's a reason the average shelf life is four years because for every guy who ends up having a terrific career in the media, there's, there's someone else who didn't have the same experience and they may still think about it positively, but overwhelmingly there were some rotten things happening to people that were sort of, you know, perhaps a couple of runs down. Yeah, so I think you and I both hold Jared Waitley in the same regard. He doesn't produce his show. So as in he, he he's in it and but he, he's not he doesn't organise the run sheet of his show every day. So I don't mean this to be any criticism of him. But yesterday and, and these people have other roles, but the people he had on yesterday on his morning show to talk about this were Luke Hodge and Patrick Dangerfield. Um the footballers on 360 last night were Eddie Betts and Jordan Lewis. Um, they've all played 300 games. They're all all Australians. Um, they've all played grand finals. Two of them are premiership players. One of them is a Jules North Smith medalist, the three-time premiership captain. So this this incident, these incidents that were detailed in this story, all deal with people at the other end of the of the success spectrum as in terms of how we measure football. Um, so, you know, I think it's, you know, I can understand the, the temptation to go to a Sean Burgoyne um, who was at Hawthorne and his First Nations and to go, you know, did you know anything about this? But it's sort of, you know, you need to be going down, in, you know, sort of scrolling through Wikipedia and say, oh, who was the bloke who was at Hawthorne in 2014 and was on the rookie list and only lasted a year, you know? Um Let's let's seek them out and find out what their experience was, um, and and that sort of ties back into a little bit of you know I think I think yesterday just to chat just to just to move things along, yesterday there was a there were certain circles that that expressed some sympathy for the North Melbourne Football Club. Um, I, I I'm not I'm not at all sympathetic to the North Melbourne I'm sympathetic to the North Melbourne Football Club players. Um, in the same way, I think I would have been sympathetic to the Brisbane football players if the story had broken last week. Um, but for the second time out of their last three coaching hires, North Melbourne haven't gone through a proper process. David Noble hadn't been sacked when this story about Cyril Rioli broke, I think, in April. And North then Hawthorne announced they were going to conduct this review. You know, I just don't know why North Melbourne... And if they did, and if it didn't come up, then then I guess that's that I would have a little bit more sympathy for them. But it, they seemed, from all reports, to have decided on their man at the start. As soon as they sacked David Noble, the decision was made, we're going to go and get Alistair Clarkson, and then they spent the next few months wooing him. Um, but it doesn't sound like they did. They, that anyone was like, well, should we just check? You know, there's this story out of Hawthorne that, that is related to a player Clarkson coach. Should we just... Make sure there's nothing that's going to happen. You know, should we just speak to some people, see what's happening out of this review? Maybe, maybe reach out. And you know, the last the last time they didn't conduct this proper process, they hired Reshore, and that turned into a complete disaster from which they haven't really recovered. And now they're sort of possibly lurching from disaster to disaster. On North Melbourne as well. I mean, I, I can only I can't be the only person to have connected the dots here regarding Jed Anderson, who was delisted under 
um, Alastair Clarkson or potentially traded to North Melbourne. One way or another, he was picked up by North Melbourne um, and has gone on to have a pretty decent few years at North Melbourne in a um, in a very ordinary side, but has often been their highest possession winner and, uh, you know, a good tough tackler and um, this and that, you know, presumably still has the capacity to play AFL football and no sooner had Clarkson been announced as North Melbourne's next coach, he was he was dumped again. So, yeah, I mean, uh, call me a conspiracy theorist, but, you know, they may just have a relationship that doesn't really work, but it's in, it's intriguing to me. Um, yeah, I think it's... I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to sort of go down this road, but I think it's it's not. You don't have to be Rod Ron Idles of the Central Investigation Bureau of Victoria Police. Um, it probably takes five ten minutes to narrow down a pretty deep, you know, a pretty short list of people um, who could be involved in this. And you know that was a name that that came up as well in my head, um, mm. and also you know in terms of you know trade scuttle, but you know there's been we've just had three weeks of Brad Hill wants to go and play with Clarkson again. Well, Brad Hill left Hawthorne in 2016 to spend more time with his family in Perth, so you know there's all this speculation, and and because this is the way the media works and the industry works, all there is going to be speculation until a player comes out and sort of tries to address the speculation. And I think considering the circumstances and everything, it's it's highly unfair to expect a player to come out just to try and end speculation, especially considering, you know, none of these players have been accused of any wrongdoing. The wrongdoing has been um, accused you know, the the accused person here is the, the Hawthorne coach, the the football manager and um the welfare manager who's I think also been stood down from Caulfield Grammar where he's currently working. Mm, mm. Um the other issue I wanted to talk on this is this is a this is this is more societal and might be a little bit controversial, but there was one thing that was in common with both I guess Brisbane's statement last night and then what Chris Fagan is reported to have said this morning and then Alistair Clarkson's statement. And that is that they were not afforded the opportunity to give their side of the story through this process. And let, let, let's let's be perfectly clear, um, without unnecessarily casting any aspersions on the reporting here by Russell Jackson, um, that there was a Hawthorne process and then you know, something's happened and, and, and Russell has been in contact with the people who have given information to them and, and then he's interviewed them and that is the basis of his story. But the report had not been released publicly. So Hawthorne had it. They gave it to the AFL integrity department and then, you know, question mark, question mark, question mark. We had this story yesterday. Um, and that, that, that that's not – it's just like there's stuff we don't know, but everything is was probably done – you know, above board, and there was quite a bit of, you know, there are, there are people out there who'll be like, well, the media said it, it must be a lie. Um, or, you know, how do we know what he had? And, you know, Russell Jackson works for the ABC. He, he This is this is what he does. It's a reputable media outlet. There's no reason to believe that um, the, record, the reporting is inaccurate. But... Yeah, Clarkson and Fagan have both said they have not been afforded the ability to address the allegations during through this process. Um, and and sort of the terminology used on AFL 360 last night was that this the the, the process it wasn't designed to allow the accused to to have the ability to address it. But the the, the term that was described was this was an op, this was an opportunity for truth telling. You know, as a truth telling process. And I think it might give potentially, you know, the wider community a bit of insight into what this sort of process may entail. Um, because, you know, as it was rightfully said last night, and I don't think I might have just said, the process was not designed, you know, it, it was not a, a feature of the process that people for whom allegations were made towards were given the opportunity to address those concerns. But, you know, regardless of the accuracy of them now, there'll be people who have, 
people who think something about Alastair Clarkson because of what was reported yesterday and Chris Fagan, and that's stale. That, that, that will be their view of them forever. So we just, we just, this is very interesting um, in terms of how we approach this because, you know, I think if there's any sort of base, if, if, if the AFL investigation now makes any sort of finding of guilt against Alistair Clarkson and Chris Fagan, it's hard to see them keeping their jobs. Oh, they won't. Yeah. So, but what happens if that, what happens if the, investigation exonerates them because the, the the allegations are out there and out there they will stay you know what's going to happen the first time north melbourne plays hawthorne does does does, does a section of the north melbourne does a section of the hawthorne crowd boo um you know what happens hawthorne play brisbane i just uh, you know i don't i don't know and you know there's a certain amount of this that's just the die is cast once stuff is made public. So I, I just, I just, it's, it's just interesting. And, and if we're going to go through processes like this more widely, um, you know, I think we're going to have to deal with, you know, allegations being made and being contested. Um, mm-hmm. If, um, if, 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 if class, Jackson and Fagan are exonerated. It's hard to. It's also hard to see this does how it doesn't see the inside of a courtroom. Because I, I mean, think it's, we're going to court regardless. It's 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 highly damaging. Mm. I'm going to use the other D word because that involves the you know, truth is a defence against de- defamation, but um, it is you know if it, it is untrue, if it is untrue, it is defamatory, and. Yeah, a lot of money changing hands. Yeah, absolutely. All of yesterday, I could only really, um, you know, I, I don't believe um, Russell Jackson uh, just goes with something. I think he's, as we, as you pointed no, out, the articles are... Do I, I want to make it clear. Neither do I. Yeah, outrageously considered. Um and you know, cut right to the core of things, and that that three separate stories, um, it's going to be very difficult for the panel to decide one way or another. Um, yeah, and the stories contain consistencies. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So you mind so, to other other cases, as I said, uh, like that, I suppose. Mm. Anyway, we get point you raise. It'll be interesting to see what happens more widely um, regarding this. And, and and my final point would be, you know, and, and just this goes to the cesspool. I mean, this is we're, – we're not, we're not dealing with woke issues here or anything like that. This is about common human decency and, you know, being able to be safe in your workplace regardless of who you are and what your background is, what your, you know, your, your family status um, preferences for anything, um, you should be able to come work and if you're doing your job, um, treat, even if you're not, but, it, um, but you turn up to work and be treated with respect and, um, not put into situations like these people have been put into, um, as, as has been described in the story. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to hear one way or another. I think, I think that sort of, the use of that word woke, I think, sort of, um, which I've seen, um, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a weaponized nonsense word. Um, to be perfect, um, and it's just used to dismiss any sort, anything as sort of like, well, this is just, this is, this is petty grievance. Um, that isn't about anything important, and that couldn't be further from the truth here. So, I just I wanted to finish on that note and make it clear how I felt. Um, hopefully, you know, um, hopefully from this point on, good comes out of this. Um, and um, you know, every footy club is a is a better place uh, to be for for everybody who works in them, but 
you know, in this case, I think it's it's worth, it needs to be mentioned, especially um, Indigenous footballers. Well, that's that's enough of you know the 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 bluesy note um, for grand final week because this is a week where we're supposed to be celebrating football. At the start of every grand final week, we we deal with the Bradlow. Um Patrick Cripps winning by a vote. Um, first and foremost, um, you're at the, you're at that game where we, the, the three we hold the three votes last round. Um, I was at another game. Um, following the game tangentially through social media. Um, and I did see it on someone's report at the time that uh, Patrick Cripps had played one of the great quarters in the third quarter to drag Carlton to their 28-point lead. Um, your, th- your thoughts on Sunday night going into that last round, were you, were you sure that at the very least Cripps was going to poll the three votes against Collingwood? Yes, I was. He... Um... It was, a, it was a classic Collingwood performance and we did not poll overly well in the Brownlow or, or no individual polled overly well in the Brownlow. Um, but I, but we all called it. Um, that it was a classic Crips performance with the team up on his back. Sam Walsh wasn't playing. Um, he won the medal that day. And, yeah, it was reasonably clear cut um, that, that he was the best player on the ground. Whether he should have been out there was another matter. Well, yeah, I mean, a little bit of that Brownlow goes to the appeals team. <laughs> uh, rubbed out for two weeks. Not, I mean, it didn't make any. Um, I assume it didn't make any difference to their final results. They lost their last four games to miss finals, but um, in getting rubbed out for the last two games of the year, and then on the Thursday night, getting it overturned on appeal. Archie didn't play the rest of the home and away. I think he came back for the finals and maybe not the first final, but he missed, certainly missed a couple. He missed the games, the last two games of the home and away season due to the impact that Cripps brought to bear on him. So um, I was, it, was, it, was, it was funny because the, 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 I thought there was actually going to be more discussion about, um, about Cripps and, and the fact that he polled in that last game in a game he shouldn't have been playing in, um, according to the match review panel. Um, but funny enough, I, I sort of think that Gillen's public remarks about it, in so much as, you know, I think it was something along the lines of the appeals process didn't work or something like that. And it's sort of the, the controversy died down from that point on. So. Feels like we got to Tuesday and we weren't talking about Patrick Cripps not, you know, not deserving the brown. And it's funny because, you know, I think he should have been suspended and I think he should have got the two weeks. But I also, uh, I'm, funnily enough, I'm not that unhappy he won. Absolutely, he's he's a worthy Brownlow medalist. Um, to anyone who's watched him um, in very ordinary Carlton sides over the journey, um, most people felt. I think most neutrals felt it was. Um, not if, but when, and, and potentially how many that he might win. Um, and he's had a couple of down years with injury, but um, has uh, it was back to his best. And it was quite interesting to watch him drift in the um, in the betting because we all knew he'd get shot out of a cannon in those first few rounds. Um, and there's nothing like banking some some early votes in a Brownlow. Um, he was obviously quieter in that middle section, but. But as as I say, you know, I knew that he was getting those three votes to to cap the season off, and um, and when you looked up at the, you know, they kept bringing up that graphic with the likely to poll in in each round, and he had a whole bunch of ticks next to his name as the. Oh, that just ticks everyone. That that graphic is useless. It's just like, oh, they someone we want to show all the time. Just put just put ticks in every round. Did they play that <laughs> week? No, just put a tick in every week. Gonna <laughs> poll six well, to five votes. <laughs> Well, yes, and and there were there were times when 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 ticks were completely useless. But regardless, you know, if he was going to keep polling after that start that he had, um, even with a one or a two here and there, he was going to stay relevant. So the fact that he drifted um, quite notably in the in the odds, um, I, I look, I, I think he's a worthy winner. Um, I think he's a, a really good football person, and I enjoyed uh, hearing his story. I enjoyed hearing that. Um, there was a big chunk of time um, 
where he felt that he wouldn't be able to speak publicly on on anything. Uh, so heavy was his stutter um, that that he looked up to Mark Murphy as his brilliant public speaker, and I, I probably have to uh, I, I have to put my own asterisks on that. Um, although I think he speaks fine, um, but you know that Cripps was looking up to him as this you know amazing public speaker and um, and and just feeling like he could never do that. You know, um, you you assume that that all um, footballers that are that are confident on the field and um, that play uh, with Cripps' passion and desire would would also be able to string some words together. But um, yeah, I feel like I got to know him a little better on Sunday night. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that um, he thought he was a certainty for the three votes in round one against Richmond. He polled one, and at that moment he thought, okay, well, I can enjoy myself. Now I'll have a few drinks. That is counting the chickens reasonably early, I would have thought. Um, yeah, I, 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 I was um, – I would, I would, the thing that struck me was how happy and how childlike it sound, he sounded like when um, – in a good way that when he won, you know, he's like, you know, he dreamt of winning it and that sort of thing. Um, I thought it was, you know, there are, there are certain ways to go about it and there are certain ways people were conducting themselves on the evening. Lockie Neal, when they interviewed him towards the end of the game, was acting like a person who had already won one, um, which he's entirely just like, oh, I'm not going to win. You know, I don't poll. And he, and, and he did. Um, a lot of guys polling in games where his team got beat by 10 goals. So um, yeah. that, that was interesting. I haven't seen someone who wanted to win so much and was so unhappy that they didn't win um, as Clayton Oliver um, since Gary Ablett in 2008, um, <laughs> which is sort of the gold standard for how am I not winning this thing? This is really annoying. <laughs> um, yeah, he, he was yeah, – and Oliver was my pick beforehand, but um, what did Oliver and Petrarca they, – they, they get five more years of doing that, they might have the all-time record for most – you know, times two teammates have both polled 20 votes in the Brownlow and neither of them have won. Because um, mm. they've done it at least twice. and they might, they might have ended up doing it three times if it had been a full season in 2020. So um, that's that's interesting. Um, other than Liam Baker, probably, <laughs> and the, the huge cheer about that whenever he polled, I guess <laughs> the crowd, the crowd favourite was Tuke Miller, who ended up finishing fourth. And... You know, Andrew Brayshaw's the the umpires tended to agree more with the players than we thought that they would. So, yeah, but, um, a huge watch on on Andrew Brayshaw moving forward because you know that's that's votes ahead of time. You would have thought. Yeah. So, um, best best count in a while, I would have thought. Um, in turn, because I, I think I think at about the nine round mark, I think it looked it looked like maybe Lockie Neal by how much. So. Um, I'm not, you know, in terms of it being right down to the, the wire as it was, right down to the second last game of the season in the order in which they played them, um, it was good. And then the last game, for an interesting uh, media uh, trivia tribute for those listening at home, um, St Kilda polled all six votes in a game they lost, which is the first time that's happened in 16 years. Um, wow. A team that's won the game. I uh, didn't pull a vote. Um, funnily enough, the three and the two for St Kilda won't be at the club next season. So, Henry <laughs> mm. polled three, Ben Long polled two, and, you know, they're both gone. So, um, I will now apply contact lenses with sandpaper. <laughs> Was that the way you saw the game? Were they the two best players on the ground? I thought Ben Long was best on ground by the length of the Flemington straight. Mm. So, uh I didn't have him getting the two votes, but those were, I, th- I think, his first two Brownlow votes of his career, maybe. I think he might have polled before. So Jack Sinclair got his first votes, but he didn't get them before Jack Hayes got a vote. Jack Hayes, the first St Kilda player in the 21st century to poll a Brownlow vote in debut. And um, there have been some reasonable debuts for the St Kilda Football Club over the course of the journey. So um, that was interesting. He managed to get a Brownlow vote. So before Jack Sinclair, and Jack Sinclair played 120 pretty handy games before that. But Sinclair got some recognition. He got nine votes. But um, I think I think in order to get Sinclair on the Brownlow, I think we what we do is we have a competition between to see who can get the most votes. All the Jacks at Sinclair, because they got to 300 career Brownlow votes. That's like the first 
the time that's ever happened. Um, all the Jacksons and Killer one year versus both A Brayshaws. Because <laughs> Angus didn't have a bad night. He is, of course, has a top three finish that no one saw coming in 2018. So um, Didn't get invited. In 2018, no, he didn't. Um, mm. Which is always slightly embarrassing, but um, but it was it was a, it was a good brand low count, and despite the uh, late suspension, that wasn't for Patrick Cripps. I don't think and I think that's played out in the amount of talk that hasn't happened about that suspension since Monday. Probably, I think most people are happy with Patrick. The idea of Patrick Cripps, brand low medalist. Yeah, when the dust settles and we and we look back on, you know, we we won't necessarily remember that he. He should have got rubbed out in round 21, I think. Um, yeah, as you say, I think we'll just see P. Cripps and go, yep, makes sense. It makes sense. Now, to the big game on Saturday, back where it belongs. 2.30, Saturday afternoon at the MCG, the AFL Grand Final. Geelong, $1.47, Sydney, $2.62. Um, on random sporting betting application, which I won't name, um, gamble responsibly. Um, Geelong haven't lost. Last time Geelong lost, Scott Morrison was prime minister, um, which is re- a reasonable time ago. It's um, so that was. May the 14th, the last team to beat them was St Kilda. The last team to beat Sydney was Essendon. And that happened on the 2nd of July. So both these teams are going very hard. You've watched them pretty closely in the finals. They beat Collingwood by seven points, and then Sydney beat Collingwood by a point. So um, what are your initial thoughts about these two teams? I think it's pretty clear that um, certainly in the last two months of the season, at the very least, these are the two best teams. Absolutely. And I think, you know, to hear a lot of people speak about this game, I think most people are siding with Geelong and it's, it's uh, hard to argue. Um, they do appear to have to be able to run the most audibles in order to get the game looking the way they want it to, um, which, which is, you know, finding a way to get Tom Stewart loose um, and building their offence from there. Um, they've they've added speed on the ball to what has always been a remarkable uh, defensive structure under Chris Scott. Um, they've got absolute weapons forward of the ball. Um, you might you might be able to pull up the goal tally while I waffle on between Hawkins, Cameron, and Tyson Stengel. Um, we've all had all Australian years and um, and racked up a huge amount of goals between them. Um, the number not really seen between three forwards for a, a good number of years. Hawkins, 64, Cameron, 63, Stengel, 49. Yeah, it's just a ton of goals. And, um, and yeah, uh, you know, to I think on, on paper and knowing what we know about um, these teams through the back half of the year, um, I think Geelong... Uh, have the answers to to most of the questions that a lot of teams may, may pose. Um, they were outstanding um, in, in the, the, the those last few minutes of um, the qualifying final. They um, they showed a lot. I felt um, against the Collingwood side that sort of refused to lay down. Um, they just separated that game. Uh, and played really smart footy towards the end, really good contested um, football. Uh, and and but I but I also think that Collingwood gave an indication as to what's possible against Geelong if you are completely committed to a pressure game. And so the only reason I would think uh, that Sydney have a, a good chance in this game um, is that. They are the best pressure side um, in the competition this year. Um, Geelong are, are quite a few runs down from that specific point of view. Geelong have the number one offense. Geelong have the number one defense. They profile about as well as any footy club coming into a grand final for a number of years. 
but Collingwood managed to worry them simply by being a great pressure side in the qualifying final. Um, now Brisbane were uh, Brisbane season probably went on for one one week too long. Um, when they came up against Geelong, they they couldn't bring that heat, and it was a bit of a procession. But I don't suspect uh, a John Longmire coach sitting Swan side uh, is going to be an easy beat. Um, and and so I think they their their absolute method in this game just needs to be to take their incredible pressure from the year and and potentially ramp it up a notch. Um, because the best laid plans basically go out the window when the pressure is high, um, as we saw in that first week of the finals. With with all teams rested from the pre-finals by, there were four high quality, high pressure games, um, and uh, you know, as I say, uh, all bets were off. How do you see it? I mean, I think I think the amount of pressure Sydney brings is the is the key variable to the game. Um, as mentioned on AFL 360 last night, I think Geelong haven't lost a game this season when the opposition pressure hasn't been at the 180 pressures. I mean, whatever whatever the metric is, it's 180, the number. Um, and they're, they're, they're five and four when the other team brings 100, over 180. So the, all four games they've lost this season have been at that stage. And, and Sydney have lost one game when their pressure has been over 180. So, um, which is to say, it's a, it's a win or lose. It's a it's a yes or no metric, though. As in Sydney, pressure was at that level. I think on Saturday, and it was in the first half at astronomical levels, and they won by point. So, um, you know, they didn't win by a bunch, but I just think Geelong. I think Geelong would have been better off having another game like they did in the first week, last week. Um, that game was an absolute training run, probably for the last 40 minutes of that game. Mm. And, you know, um, Geelong put the cue back in the rack both strategically and, you know, physically. Um, and, you know, it's hard to argue that they should have done anything different considering what the score was. Um, but it's, I mean, we had a, we had a, we had a time in the two thousands when the quantum of victory in the preliminary final probably, you know, seemed to have some sort of correlation to who would be a better team to win in the grand final. And that, that hasn't happened. I think, um, Last year we got two blowouts. Um, twenty twenty we got two pretty good games. Although the, I don't think the Brisbane Geelong game was as close as Port Adelaide Richmond. Um, twenty nineteen I think they were both pretty good games. Um, twenty eighteen there was a blowout, but it was the top team that no one thought could lose that got blew out. Um, so it's interesting, but. I just think the way Sydney are coached and the way they've approached it, the way they've won their two finals, it's hard to come to the conclusion that this, that they it's hard to come to the conclusion that their their pressure won't be at the required amount tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, uh, mm, mm, absolutely. So then you've got to start to think to yourself, can you know, are Geelong well placed to withstand that? Um. I can remember sitting um, in this seat two years ago um, talking about the talking about the team that Geelong were about to put on the, the, the park for the grand final in that year the uh, the the Gabba grand final against Richmond now the average age of that team that Geelong team was 28 years, 117 days. Um, they are older now. Mm. They are older and the game is being played a month earlier. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the team they put on the park last week, which was, you know, 
six weeks before the, the comparative time two years ago they would have put the tear on the park was two weeks older on average per player. Um, their median player, that is their 13th oldest player, as many as their 12th oldest player, there's 11 players who are older than this bloke on the team and 11 players who are younger than him, um, is Tom Stewart. Oh, sorry, sorry, it's not Tom Stewart. It's Jeremy Cameron. So Jeremy Cameron, who will be 30 before he plays a game next season, um, there are 11 guys on the team who are older than him, 10 of them who have already turned 30 and last week, and there are 11 who are younger than him. So, um, again, this is this is just – it was unprecedented two years ago, and then they've just – they've kept going back to the well. We're going to keep trying to do the same thing over and over again. Um, add to that, add to that punter that they're arguably – oh, well, it's, I think it is their youngest player uh, it is a strong chance to miss. Mm. So they'll they'll get older again. Yeah, so um, they bring in Marco. Mark, I mean, in terms of the twenty-two starting, Mark O'Connor is five and a half years older than Max Holmes. The average age turns out because whoever they, whoever they, whoever comes in is the sub, but it's going to be, it's not going to be someone who's just turned twenty. And Holmes has had a very good finish to the season, so um, he'll be a loss in other ways other than just making them look a bit younger. But. Um, you know, Brisbane's team that they put on last week looked, you know, for a team that was at that stage of the season, at that level of success, you know, highly conventional, with the exception of the bloke playing his third game that were all finals. Um, few 30-year-olds, plenty of people in that 28 to 24 range, and then a few youngsters. And, you know, which Geelong continued to um, just you know, do things completely differently than anyone else. So the question is, you have a team that's that is of that age, does that make them better placed to withstand pressure or worse placed? Well, there's two things there, isn't there? Because, uh, yes, they've doubled down on um, on their age profile. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I sort of felt like any of the kind of grandpa teams, no matter what sport they were playing, were were... Um, waiting, I guess, for for the end to come, and when it came, it would it would come really quickly. Um, but I sort of felt that about um, the Australian T Twenty side, and then throughout that tournament um, that they went on to win, um, suddenly the the sort of new adage is um, that that old teams win T Twenty games, win T Twenty tournaments. They're, they're better equipped to handle the pressure. They're, they're sort of, they have more guile um, and, and experience counts for plenty where you'd think you'd just want really good hand-eye players and skillful bowlers who, um, you know, can, can still put the ball exactly where they want to. Um, but, uh, you know, perhaps, perhaps it is, a, you know, exactly um, the right way to play it. And Geelong seemingly um, believe that. And are perfectly happy to double down on on uh, what they're doing, um, and then they've also the, the the other side of that as well is that you know Geelong are aware of their age profile, um, and from about the midpoint of the season when it became clear that, that you know perhaps they had something of a softer run, they were going to play a lot of games at Cardinia Park, they you know this that and the other, they they just started to manage the season and and almost perfectly you would argue to get to get this uh, mini preseason into Dangerfield who was excellent in the prelim final to to rest Selwood here and there um, to make sure that Jeremy Cameron was off that troublesome hamstring to to get rest into Tom Hawkins um, you know they, they managed their list uh, in such an incredible fashion and banked wins right the way through. They've made sure that any emergencies they they might call into the team have had a run around and performed at the level. Um, so basically, uh, I think if it goes wrong for this, and, and I agree with you. I mean, I, I sort of I view this game as one team superbly managed, brilliantly coached, all the audibles, uh, you know, very very good players on every line, but perhaps they're just past their best from a conventional uh, age profile understanding to a team who, you know, I think is knocking on the door. Um, I think in our preseason ladders, I had Sydney at fourth. 
Um, and I felt like of, of all the teams that we weren't sure about, I felt the Swans were the team most likely to strike this year. But I, I thought that if they did, it would be well ahead of schedule. Um, I think that they're coming into their sweet spot. But again, you know, convention's out the window because there's a couple of teams that profile uh, better than both of these teams from an age point of view. Um but it's these two that are there again. And you put it brilliantly at the start of the podcast that these are the two teams uh, of the last however many years. These are, the, these are the two teams from my lifetime who just refuse to spend any time outside the eight. Um, Selwood on the weekend, 16th year of footy and played his 12th preliminary final. That is absurd. He plays his 40. This is his 40th final. That means record all time. If Geelong win, it's his 22nd win, which is the same number as my football club has won in its history. So, yeah. Just I, I, look, I think it'd be a fairer fight if we had 18 St Kilda blokes playing and just Giles Joel Selwood. I think that would be, you know, I think his teammates might have had <laughs> some of those three to win. But yeah, so does he, does he retire if they win? Does he ride off into the sunset? Well, I was, I thought that would be the case for a legend of the game, no matter which way the result went. Um, you know, the, the news midweek that that um, that Buddy's going around one more time um, was uh, was a bit of a shock to me. I thought he might wait until they played that game to make that decision um, because there's a hell of a lot of romance in finishing that nine-year deal, which nobody thought that he would do, um, and finishing it with his first premiership in that last year after all the pundits kind of banging on about whether you know, whether he'd get through it and is it a waste if you didn't bring them a flag? It's like, you know, he could tie all that up neatly in a bow by finding a way. Um, but he's going around again. Um, I think clearly as far as Geelong's concerned, that'll be Joel Selwood's decision. Um, one of the most so, incredible careers I've ever witnessed. But um, I think, I think, I think the result will be key um, for Joel Selwood. And, and we, you know, you and I have waxed lyrical about, you know, Geelong needing to figure out what happens next. Um, so they may feel they need to usher some of these players out. Perhaps, perhaps, but nothing ever changes. So Geelong, 16 seasons, 15 finals. Um, and in the last 19 seasons, I think, yeah, I think 17. I think since 2004, which was sort of the rise of the the start of the rise of the Bum and Thompson Cats, um, 2006 and 2015 were the two years they missed finals. So they're due for another slip up in a couple of years. Um, <laughs> Sydney, 22 out of the last 27 final series. Mm. So um, I thought it was interesting. Six out of the eight teams that made the finals this year had premiership players with the club. They had blokes who had played you know, in their team who had played in the premiership at that club. Um, Brisbane were one of the ones who didn't. The other one was Fremantle, and there are no Fremantle premiership players. Um, meanwhile, missing from the finals were, if we take the you know, pedantic definition of what a millennium is um adelaide north melbourne st kilda Essendon, and carlton haven't won a premiership this century and gws and the gold coast haven't won a premiership at all and port adelaide haven't won one in 2004 which obviously isn't the main but the, there's eight of the 10 teams that missed the finals this season haven't won a premiership in 18 years hmm and the other two were West Coast, who are who were lamentably bad this year, polled fewer Brownlow votes this year than Fitzroy did in 1996, <laughs> and are going to get worse because their list profile looks more like Geelong's. Um, and Hawthorne, um, who are clearly rebuilding and but are only seven years removed from a premiership, so. Yeah, I think I think I think the grand final on Saturday stands as a testament to you know the ability to to achieve sustained excellence, but it is a black mark on any attempts by the AFL that they claim to make 
on equalization when it's the same teams over and over again. Here's, here's why Sydney's going to win. First of all, they finished under under this final system, they finished third three times this year in 2005 and 2012. Those are also the two years they won the Premiership. So <laughs> in terms of omens, they're, they're all over. Second, and, and secondly, it's the pressure thing, I think. I think the game's played on Sydney's terms, and I think they win reasonably comfortably. I've barely been right about anything this season, and you can go back and listen to the podcasts if so inclined, but uh, my my same game two leg multi with whoever does them that I'm not going to name is Sydney by over 25 points at 6:25 into Isaac Heaney to kick the first goal. That pays 51.50. Wow, week. Only well, two legs. Know, you'll know pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not going to make the bet, but that would be my that would be my suggestion if you did that sort of thing. So. He he's my pick for the Norm Smith as well, by the way. Yeah, he's a good pick. You know, um, if Sydney win, I suspect that a massive key to that win uh, will be the player they have loose behind the ball. And I would suggest that's a huge chance to be Paddy McCartan. Um, and... He, that would be a remarkable story, no matter which way you slice it. Um, well, it'd be, it'd, it'd be Brian Lake times like 10,000, wouldn't it? That's Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. No, yeah, no matter which way you slice it, I think even St Kilda supporters would find a way to feel really happy for Paddy McCartan if he can make that happen. Um, but Sydney putting pressure on up the field and getting some turnovers happening in the back line, um, I think Paddy McCartan will be the guy that's uh, flying uh, across packs and, and, and picking off the dump kicks. Um, if Sydney can find a way to win, uh, have you got a market up there? What's um, Norm Smith? Paying for the Norm Smith. Yeah. He's paying $51, which would indicate there's just been a teeny wee little bit of money for him. Oh, well, it, you, you've got a $51 bet. That's my $51 bet. It's I the $51 bet. Heaney's a. A very, very uh, good pick and, and, you know, appears to have everything it takes to to bob up and kick four or five. Um, one final thing on this is that I think selection will be very interesting. If if Sam Reid doesn't get up, that's that's a big blow for the Swans. Um, and I'd like to see them pick a small player to ramp up the pressure element even further. Um uh, you know, which would, would then lead to, you know, hopefully lots of leading alleys, you know, um, you got to switch against Geelong. You, you you can't be kicking it to De Conning all day, um, and Stewart and these guys who who just pick you off. So you've got to change the lanes, which brings smaller players into the game. Um, that's the way that Collingwood played them, um, you know. And we had a couple of our smalls bob up that day. So um, Heaney Heaney a, a very very safe pick. Um, but I wonder if McCartan could get involved. Um, I picked Geelong in twenty twenty. Um, uh, off the back of the of the last year, where I felt they'd be. I think that was the last one I had right, wasn't it? I had Richmond. <laughs> yeah, um, I picked them that year because I just felt um, I felt that their experience would count for plenty, um, and that they'd somehow found a semblance of their best football with the sixteen minute quarters and um, constantly on the road, and where some clubs absolutely fell to bits um, through the lockdowns, they seemed to find another gear. Um, I think where we found Geelong at the end of last year was, you know, you and I spoke about it. They were, they were broken. Um, and, you know, they had assistant coaches lining up to leave the joint. Um, Chris Scott seemed to be, you know, doubling down and they trade Nathan Kruger and, you know, a couple of young players, Jordan Clark. And, um, you know, they, they didn't seem to do a hell of a lot to, to mess with their list profile. But what they did do in the off-season was chuck the game plan out and, and almost start again, backing in their defensive structures, but putting speed on the ball when it needed to happen. So Collingwood jumped them in the qualifying final, and um, it was looking really good if we could have convert, uh, converted a few more of those early chances. But uh, the Geelong of old would have slowed the ball down and played right into the hands of our momentum. Um, Geelong didn't do that, and they found a way to slice through us um, which I think is has been a key 
um, shift to their game. So I think the odds should be much closer to kind of a dollar seventy and two dollars ten than they are. So Sydney's certainly value. Yeah. Um, but I have I have Geelong by a kick or two. Sydney have drifted too. They were not. They were. It's only a little, but they were like two fifty on Saturday night after the game, mm. after the Sydney Collingwood game, and they've drifted. So there's been obviously money for Geelong. So interesting, interesting. Look forward to it on Saturday. Back where it belongs. Hope well, the weather forecast doesn't look great, um, but you know, hopefully the sunshine can burst through, and we've got um, we've got we've just heard the announcement that Delta's going to be performing with Robbie Williams on, on during the game. So. Um, Goanna, Mike Brady's going to be there. What a surprise. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, I did hear, it was a good point that was made by someone on, on, on Twitter a few weeks ago. Isn't it about time we gave Greg Champion to run around on Grand Final Day to play this something, of, you know, that's the thing about football? You know, just change it up a little bit because there is there is more than one good football song. So I reckon uh, you'd find he'd, he'd sing it quite a few times on Grand Final Day and, and pocket a handy sum each time. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, he'd like the gig on the G, that's for sure. I think he just got like an AM or something, Greg Champion, for services to songs about Melbourne supporters. That was a highlight last year, driving <laughs> at Apollo Bay when I, I was driving through driving through Western District, Victoria, proper Western District, listening to the Could Have Beans on the ABC, what turned out to be, I think, their last broadcast on the ABC, and hearing Greg Champion sing the charcuterie song to the tune of Kokoda, uh, not Kokoda, <laughs> Kokomo by... Uh, <laughs> The Beach Boys. That was very good. Um, just giving my young sons a little bit of what what would best be described as proper Melbourne culture. Um, but um, we look forward to all those all those traditions um, that that happened on Grand Final Day that we've probably missed um, the last few years. And you know, someone some supporting group is going to be very happy on Saturday night. That's it for us in terms of the footy season. We might. Get back to do a to do a do a like a trade week reacts, but it's a busy time October uh, for the podcast. We've got NBA previews this year. We've got a T Twenty World Cup, so we might have to hit that and have a quick talk about that because look, we, we we're one for one. Every time we've done a podcast about the T Twenty World Cup, Australia have won the T Twenty World Cup. So <laughs> let's keep it going. Um, hope everyone has a good day Saturday and enjoys um, the grand final. Cameron, thanks for joining me. Good on you, Pana. And uh, we'll catch you next time on, which you go without saying.